0: That audience is now very versed in virtual technology and it can attend virtually. So first and foremost is a much wider audience can be reached now. So why wouldn't you? And and then the second thing is, uh, you know, people are starting to question um, a couple things around in-person events and mostly around the size of them. Right. There's a lot of impact uh, on an in-person event.
1: You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast, brought to you by kevkayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier, so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit kevkayat.com. Because good causes deserve better results. Now... Here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat.
2: Hello, Kev Kayat here. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver, brought to you by Yatni, the virtual events platform 100% free to nonprofits, and Pod Pro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Thanks for tuning in. Just to be clear, you are actually the nonprofit problem solver. My job is to extract from our guests the practical, tactical expertise. ...that you can put straight into action. This is a recording of a live event hosted on Yacht Find out more at y.yacht.me. That's W-H-Y dot You can find me, Kev Kyatt, at kevkyat.com... ...as well as on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse. Join the Nonprofit Problem Solver Club on Clubhouse... ...and the Nonprofit Problem Solver Facebook group... ...to get all the latest practical, tactical advice... On being the best nonprofit entrepreneur you can be. And check out my coaching programs at nonprofitentrepreneur.com. 18 months ago, no one was talking about virtual events, but we've learned so much in doing them that now that we can plan for in person events, why give up the virtues of online? In this special feature edition of the podcast, I moderate a panel including YachtMe founder Barry Hinckley. Events Producer and Founder of Sapphire Events, Jennifer Whitman, and Nick DiBella, Director of Experience at Stage Edge, an Events and Content Producer. Let's listen to the panel explain how to make hybrid events work as a double event, a combination of a fantastic in-person event with an equally fantastic online experience. Welcome, everyone, to Making the Move to Hybrid Events. Uh, we're on the Yotme platform, and if you haven't used it before, you're in for a treat. This is a uh, a great virtual events platform uh, that has been around for a little while now and is growing and getting better all the time. Uh, so I'm here with a panel to discuss uh, our topic of moving to hybrid events uh, over uh, the next 25 to 30 minutes, and then we are going to break out into uh, what we call mingle mode. This is the sort of main event mode that you can watch uh, and ask questions. Uh, you're actively encouraged to use the chat. We'll try and pick up those questions along the way. Uh, and, uh, and then if you, if you don't want to answer or wait till it, till the, uh, to, the, to the tables, we've got a mingle mode at the end uh, where each of us will be heading a table of uh, 12 to 15 people. And you'll be assigned to a table, but you can move around just by clicking. Uh, and if we need to explain the user interface when we get to that point, then, then we can do so. Um, so, let me uh, introduce our panel before we jump right into questions, uh, and I will start with Barry. Go ahead, Barry. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your role in Yatmi.
0: Hey there, everyone. I'm Barry Hinckley. I'm the president and founder of Yotmi. Uh Many of you know YachtMe is a technology platform uh, that enables mostly nonprofits, but also brands uh, and uh, other organizations to produce uh, impactful and effective and efficient in-person, hybrid and virtual events. Who spent the last 15 months in the virtual world. Uh, we started doing our first events. I mean, we being, got me with Carnegie Hall last April. Uh, we work with Theo Epstein's foundation to be named later uh, and uh, many other local and national nonprofits to help them power their events with very um, uh, effective and impactful technology, part of which you are experiencing today in our virtual venue. So I look forward to being part of this important panel and uh, hopefully answering questions uh, to the uh, for the audience about how to navigate the world of uh, in person, uh, formerly in person, uh, virtual, and back to what is uh, widely uh, considered to be a hybrid future.
2: Excellent, thank you, Jennifer. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your company.
1: Sure, I'm Jennifer Sapphire Whitman. I founded Sapphire Events in 2007. We work with nonprofit organizations and small businesses to produce fundraisers, uh, conferences, branding events. Uh, we work with clients on a national level that are mostly based in the Boston area. We also work with uh, several venues, including we manage the Cyclorama at the Boston Center for the Arts, their entire sales department, and a new venue more than words. So we have been working over this last now 16 months to put on everything from 50-person intimate events to 3,000 um, attendee multi day virtual conferences and are gearing up for quite a bit in the future with both virtual, hybrid, and in person.
2: Right. Well, we're looking forward to tapping into your experience. Okay, uh, Nick, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do.
3: Awesome, Kev. Thank you. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, so I'm Nick DiBella, I'm the Director of Experience at Stage Edge, uh, which is an international production partner for events and content. Uh, in my role, I work very closely with our clients. Um, I touch, if it's if it's an event or video or animations, I, I'm typically very closely involved with those processes, helping our clients bring their vision to life from virtual events, hybrid events, live events, um, all through content staging and technology. So very excited to, to dive in here today.
2: Okay. Well, thank you very much. Um, right. So uh, as everyone knows, we've... Uh, Went into uh, the pandemic at varying rates. Uh, each geography, each part of the the uh, country and the world was going in at different um, different speeds, and and we all sort of had to adjust to it. And Then, for quite a long time, we've been in it together. Now, different areas are emerging again at different speeds and in different ways. So we're sort of in this um, mixed uh, economy of 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 what we can and cannot do. Uh, Barry. In that context, and as we start to plan ahead a few months out where hopefully uh, the, we're, we're looking at the pandemic uh, uh, <laughs> with 2020 vision, I had to throw that in, uh, then um, why would people still be looking at virtual and hybrid events rather than going completely back to in-person? In other words, what's the value and what would we learned by doing these, uh, these virtual events?
0: Well, I think first and foremost what we've seen is there's a massive opportunity for nonprofits uh and anyone interested in fundraising type events to tap a much larger audience virtually because of the fact that these the, the audiences are educated and my parents are eight, are deep into their 80s 86 my dad is and they are very functional attending uh, events virtually now. They're also snowbirds living in Florida in the winter, and they support mostly nonprofits from New England where they're from. You know, that, that was an audience that was untapped uh, two years ago because they, would, they didn't know how to attend things virtually. You know, the average age of a donor in the Boston area per a survey by the Salvation Army is 69. That audience is now very versed in virtual technology and it can attend virtually. So first and foremost is a much wider audience can be reached now. So why wouldn't you? And then the second thing is, uh, you know, people are starting to question um, a couple things around in-person events and mostly around the size of them. Right. There's a lot of impact uh, on an in-person event. So what we're seeing is people wanting to get back to in-person, but maybe not at the, at the, at the size they were doing it before because of the cost. So we're, we're talking to people that were running a thousand person events and they're saying last year and they're saying, you know, when we go back, we're going to go to 500 because the feedback before the pandemic was it was too crowded. Uh, there was no room in the cocktail area. You know, it, it was overflowing cars, valets, time. It just was a lot more. So we're going to go to a 500 person event from a thousand and then really try to encourage, um, you know, a thousand people to attend online. So increase the overall size of the event uh, by extending virtually but not having the, the impact uh, you know, in the time and, and now that people have an option to attend virtually, a lot of people are going to say, you know, it's easier for me to attend virtually. So I will. I think we do we lose Kev?
1: I think we may have lost Kev.
0: Never may have lost his Internet. Uh, <laughs> Jen, do you have anything to 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 add to that?
1: Yeah, um, I will just add on, you know, like you said, accessibility in so many ways for that whole group. But also, you know, I just worked with um, I produced an event this spring for partners with for. Partners for youth with disabilities. And we were able to bring it to more of the audience who, in the past, it was difficult for them to physically travel into an in-person event. So I've seen an impact there. And that's been the case um, for virtual events across the board with folks who can now use screen readers and all of the technology to, to help attend. Um, and I've also told my clients that this is a great time, like you mentioned, Barry, to break their bad habits. So what in the event process do they do every year just because and what can they change now and say we're doing it virtually we're doing a hybrid and we're refreshing the event
3: yeah, and if I could just add to that, I think um, one one more uh, really valuable piece of doing this virtual or hybrid model is it's a richer data set. We're finding that, you know, the analytics you can you can pull from a virtual event, whether that's the behavior of the audience, the heat map of which content they're engaging with, or even, you know, their, their donation history, their conversion history uh, can be really, really helpful both during that event and then following up and, and really leveraging your network and your data set as you're continuing to do fundraising through email and things like that. So I think there's a lot of value in the data you get out of a virtual or hybrid event as well.
2: So we see a lot of uh, a scope for a larger audience, a more diverse audience, and uh, a group that you um, can keep in touch with in 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 different ways. Um, but um, Jennifer, if you could explain um, the way you approach uh, events where you're looking at hybrid and how you manage trying to create an exciting and captivating experience for two audiences who have really, you know, different positions, one virtual and one live. Sure. So I've really been
1: educating all of my clients and anyone I'm working on a proposal with that a hybrid event, we really need to think about it as two separate events and how we weave it together. So you're planning an in-person event and a virtual event. And you need to think about those on their own. And then you need to think about how they connect, how we keep both audience engaged, and how you don't deliver an inferior product to either, right? So probably if you are had a gala this spring, you did it virtually and your guests thought it was great because you catered to them the whole time. You need to do that again in your hybrid event. You can't, a lot of folks are saying, well, we'll just send, the, you know, everybody who signs up virtually a recorded program. You can't do that. You're going to disappoint your attendees. So you need to use a platform or technology. So bring in, you know, Stage Edge. I'm working with AV partners and platform partners like Yami to see what we can do to connect the audiences. Um, so I'm seeing some really neat things, like having an MC in the room um, that's dedicated just to bring in that virtual audience right? So they're talking about the comments and talking through the chat features to everyone in the room and they're bringing them together. And that's what you need to do. Um, You also need to think very carefully about the timing and what you do to fill the time for the virtual attendees when you're moving folks from cocktail into dinner. What are you going to have that keeps them engaged? Um, And you you also want to produce a condensed event. So again, really planning an in-person and a virtual, and being so thoughtful about how you merge those together with technology and programming.
2: That's, uh, that's, that's really useful. So two, two sort of events. Uh, Nick, you want to uh, come in there and, and, and think also uh, also the, the practicalities is if you're, if you're planning two uh, very similar simultaneous overlapping events, uh, how does that complicate the planning process and what sort of support should people be looking for?
3: Yeah, I think Jennifer's right on the money with, with um having it be these two distinct experiences, but it really is truly about bridging that experiential gap. And I think it, it's the the practical reality of it is that yes, you have two audiences in, interacting with your program in completely different ways. One is through a screen and, and one is in real time. And I think we look at it at two ways to bridge that experiential gap. The first being technology. Um certainly platforms like YachtMe that allow you to really engage with your audience in real time, but also the in-room technology. So bringing remote presenters in, gamifying what's going on, or even having virtual audience video feeds in the seats um, so that they can actually be part of that program. And the second piece is content. So enhancing your content and your run of show, uh, as Jennifer was saying, to make it engaging for both audiences, finding those periods in which having real-time communication between the two audiences makes sense. It doesn't have to be the whole show, just like you wouldn't have during your, you know, if you're in a ballroom, you wouldn't have your whole audience networking with each other during the keynote, right? So you'd want to make sure that there's the right time and place for those things. Um, And then the last thing I'll say there is, create virtual exclusive programming however you can. So for your audience who can't come to the ballroom or maybe doesn't feel comfortable coming to the gala, um, do something for them at home so that they can feel like they're getting an exclusive experience. Maybe it's a news desk that has one-on-ones with maybe your guest or your talent or your speakers, um, but something that makes it feel a little bit special and a unique experience that that virtual audience can share together.
2: Uh, Yeah, I love that. So, so again, two, two events, but bringing them together for a larger audience. Now, uh, none of you in the panel <laughs> would have been able to say this a year ago or, or eighteen months ago because we had to go through this process of learning and I know Barry that you have worked you and your team have worked incredibly hard over the the last uh, few months uh, also adapting your product in this platform to new technologies. Um, what have been the main things that you feel like the main features that you 've added that have helped people bring their, the, the, both the virtual and the live events? Together, what's been sort of the main uh, uh, key milestones on your on your development path uh, over the last few months?
0: Well, I, the the most important thing is the virtual venue that we built here, and we built this venue um, for two, reason, two, two, two distinct things. First of all, uh, when we all started, we were we we're leveraging some type of an all of the above strategy between Zoom and 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 YouTube, whatever we could figure out to pull it off. These are not designed like a venue. You can think of this venue you're in now like a virtual venue in the cloud, like going to a small theater. You know, with this venue has, you know, four distinct areas. It has backstage where we are, you know, where we coalesce before the event. Then we have the stage, which is what we're projecting to the 52 people that are in the audience. And then we have the breakout rooms, which we can do before and after. You know, that concept makes it like a theater, uh, where you can actually produce the event. The second thing that is so important that we've learned, um, Uh, you know, during this, you know, past, uh, you know, 15 months uh, that our team has become incredibly dependent upon are the two other people that are on this panel with us, Kev, and that's Jennifer's company and, 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 and Nick's company or, or companies like them, you know, if you happen to be not working with them uh, here in Boston. And that is you need someone to pull all the pieces together because virtual events are a whole nother level of tech of uh, complexity. The amount of technology that have been injected into required technology injected into pulling off a good hybrid event today is 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 is. is Quantum leaps ahead of where it was 15 months ago, which means the customers have to have a tour guide to understand what those pieces are to implement them. So you really need a good event production uh, management company like Jen's company to pull it together. And wow, it, it was really important when events were virtual to have a good company like Stage Edge that can pull together all the the video. You know, let's just talk about video for a second. I mean, Nick talked a lot a, a lot more, um, but. When these things are hybrid and going forward, it is so important to have a good local technical partner because if you're going to take any type of a video feed from a live audience, you can't wing that on a laptop, right? You, you know, and the stakes are higher. The you know the, the the laptop experience was funny and fun in the beginning. People expect it to look like the six o'clock news now. If you're gonna if you're gonna get there. Um, that quality, if you're going to maintain their attention, which means you need a company like Stage Edge to pull all those video pieces together live and, you know, and then give us a Yami, which is the platform, the, the RTMP, the real time message processing feed. So it looks really professional. That's been the big thing we've done at Yami is set up to work with the gens, to work with the Stage Edges so we can pull these pieces together because it's not amateur hour anymore if you want to play in the hybrid world.
2: Yeah, uh, Jennifer or Aaron, Nick, do you have anything you want to add add to that?
0: I, I think you know what, what Barry says.
3: There's a lot of truth there, and what I think is interesting is, and I'm sure it was strategic on the Otmi side, is the, the the panel that's here today are really the the three pieces that I think are key to really pulling off a successful virtual or hybrid event. Like you have you have Sapphire events, who's, uh, Sapphire events, excuse me, who is going to really help you facilitate the experiential side of things for those folks that are both in the room and virtual. You have the platform like Yatni where you can actually engage your audience in real time. And then a group like Stage Edge who can manage all the technology and all the content that is required to make that experience be as engaging as possible. So I think, you know, those are the pillars of of providing any good e- event experience, whether it's live, in-person, uh, virtual or some combination of the two.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And just okay. say you have a more sophisticated audience and they're, everyone's raising the bar and it's really exciting to see, right. but then you're, right. you have to, you have to raise the bar for your own organization to be in that mix. And
2: it, and I think it also, it also then matters uh, about the the sort of vendor and help that you are looking for, because it's been a rapid learning curve uh, and, it doesn't mean that necessarily your your partner needs to have been there at the very beginning, but they can't. You don't want to be the uh, guinea pig for the, for your partner's first uh, hybrid event, do you? Um, uh, and on, on on that note, I want I want to ask the panel uh, a question that Lauren from Room to Grow asked, uh, and I know it's something that we had bounced around as a as a discussion topic before, which is how do you do the live event uh, in in a hybrid situation? And and I and I know speaking to event planners over the uh, the the winter months and early in the spring when we were thinking about uh, later in 2021 and and, and emerging from uh, lockdowns that uh, that people had had some concerns about uh, the the platforms and approaches that they take into hybrid is that that the, they missed they really missed the live event the live auction rather uh, element uh, between uh, you know from the from the live uh, from the in person event so h- how in this hybrid situation can you pull this off in a way which meets the criteria we've already set in this conversation, which is have two simultaneous events going on that are a great experience for both audiences. So Jennifer, I'll, I'll, I'll put that one to you first.
1: Sure. So for live auctions, what I've been doing is researching not only what platforms are offering, but looking to traditional auction houses who have been doing this for a very long time. For years and years, they've had an in-person. You look know, at Christie's, Sotheby's, all of the local auction houses. They've had an in-person auction with bidders in the room, and they've always had online and phone representatives. So I've actually been speaking with and trying to learn from the different auction houses and do the research to see what methods are best, and then how I pair that with uh, a, an option like a technology option like like Yatmi.
2: Sorry, I had to mute there. there, uh, Nick. Um, what what have you found uh, is important in in hosting a, li- a successful live auction?
3: Yeah, I think um, I think Jennifer's spot on there. The, the challenge, you know, certainly there's best practices from those who've been doing it a, a long time, and I think what we've found success in is leveraging platforms like Yotme for both the virtual audience and the folks in the room. So maybe it's a registration app, or there's a second screen experience that you're providing to that audience, and they're using the app to to you know, submit their donations or be part of the auction live as part of that process um that seems to be the best way to make sure that your data set is consistent so the folks at home are using a platform and the folks in the room are using the exact same platform so all that data can live in the same place and then what's interesting there is whether you're using the platform or your production and graphics team is then surfacing those donations and auction results in real time on the screen so it can be a ticker it can be a graphic or uh, as jennifer said having your live auctioneer call those things out in real time and say oh you know uh, uh, jane from home just donated 1500 bucks thanks, Jane. And oh, this person in the room just did this as well. What that does is it, it really does bring that audience closer together. And then, it you know, folks who, who make de- donations want to be celebrated. They want a little bit of recognition and it encourages other folks to do the same. So you can really reach kind of a, a fever pitch with some of that stuff by by reflecting it back to the audience in real time.
1: Yeah. And if I could just add what I'm looking at doing, I always hear it from my clients. They don't want to go fully virtual. They don't want everyone sitting silent on their phones. They want the excitement of the paddle raise in the room. So what we're looking at doing is having representatives in the room doing the same thing, right, on behalf of our online and, you know, if if there's a phone guest, whatever that might be. And then, like, exactly like you said, showing that on the screen, too. So just creating that excitement. We're probably looking at scheduling a few more minutes for each live auction, but it's just really important to keep that excitement up.
0: And, you know, I'll just
2: add. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really good. I like the. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, so so uh, so Yami supports all of these scenarios, which is great. So, you know, once again, we're the platform that goes from ticketing. We have complete silent auctions. You know, the nice thing about this venue, we're not in it because Yatme not a nonprofit. We're a brand. So this is on our brand page. But if we were a nonprofit and we did have a fundraising goal, you could make a donation right in this venue. You could visit the auction. There's a button right there. They, you can click on the auction button right from this venue. And uh, If you guys come into my room after, I can uh, share my screen and show you what that would look like. Um, And you can also have a thermometer. So as as people either make donations in the chat, which then you'd have uh, an administrator, you know, from either the nonprofit or Jen's company would be adding them manually and the thermometer would be growing towards the goal. We support all of those things. Totally agree with Nick and Jennifer in that the live. The nice thing about these events is we can go live and then we can roll a video and go live. So, you know, it's kind of a hybrid Uh, Another type of hybrid meeting, it's hybrid meeting some live and then some pre-recorded content. The nice thing about that is you can have an auction that might have been up for a week and it's rolling as a silent auction would roll and might close after the event's over. And then we can have another auction, the live auction during the event that an auctioneer is bringing up the items, sharing his screen or her screen, showing the items. And people can bid online, they can bid in the chat, and then an operator would enter uh, the bids, and then the operator would close that out and then send a link to the person uh, in the chat, private chat, uh, to just to, to, to complete the transaction. So, you know, that's how we handle all that. And then the last thing, which is so important, when you have a good, like a stage edge and you have the live theater looking component of your MC, the paddle raise, the fund to need, fund a cause, um, call to the heart, call it what you will at the end is always a huge fundraiser. And the fact that you can engage an in-person audience, but also draw from hundreds of people in a virtual audience, really can get those numbers up because that can, you know, Jen can and Nick can attest to that. That can be one of your biggest fundraising, mm-hmm. you know, parts of the evening for sure. And and so in so enabling what's,
2: that, what's great about, oops, sorry to speak over you there, Barry. That's great. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm done.
0: I'm done. You good, Nick? I mean, uh, Kev. I'm yeah. I'm good.
2: Okay, so I, I think what what I think is is sort of moved beyond uh, what we were originally saying about making it great for two audiences is actually seeing how, in some senses, the 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 the, the, the live experience can also enhance the virtual um, when you're talking about adding that energy of the live uh, that the live event. Uh, I hope Lauren that that answered your question, um, and uh, we're just a few minutes from breaking out into our tables. So I hope you guys all have uh, more technical questions that you're gonna. Uh, put to us, and you 'll be able to bounce between the tables uh, if you want to speak to somebody in particular, uh, but before we go to that, the last question I want to um, sort of put the uh, feet to the fire and on, on the panel and, and and see if we can summarize what some of the uh, absolute essentials are when it comes to planning a hybrid event things that that you really got to you really should keep in mind um, and uh, uh, nick i 'll start with you. Uh, what are the things that you tell your clients that uh, if they're thinking about a hybrid event, this is these are these are must considerations, things that questions they have to answer.
3: Yep. I, I, we have kind of three core pillars, uh, when it comes to producing a virtual or hybrid event. And, and it really translates to live as well. Um, that's your team, meaning who's going to be supporting this, uh, really every aspect of it from product, from the content production to the actual management of the stream and bringing in real time presenters remotely. Um, and even platforms like Yacht I mean, the, the platform is so powerful. Do you have? A deep bench of, of support staff that's working with you on the production side to help support that in any way you might need. Um, and, and so that's certainly part of that. The second piece is the technology. So, you know, is it, is your stage have an LED behind it? Is it projection? Are you bringing in real remote presenters? Those types of things. And then the final piece being content, uh, which really ties into your show flow. And it, it may not sound like a technical consideration, but, The tighter and clearer your run of show is, the more richly you can integrate that real-time communication technology and audience engagement throughout. So I think... For, from the stage edge side, those are really the three things we constantly talk about and making sure they're buttoned up um, as needed. And I think we're fortunate that we, you know, we can bolt on wherever an organization needs us. If you're working with an amazing group like Sapphire Events, we can bolt on and just handle handle your your production. If you're coming to the table saying, "Hey, we're using a Yotmi and we need some support," our guys are experts in that and they can jump on and support that as well. So uh, it requires a lot of versatility on our team side. But it's it, as we all know, as this world of events is evolving, it does require. Um, Wearing a lot of hats, and that's kind of our specialty. So, um, those are those are really the three areas I think are most important. And, and Jennifer, I'm not sure if you have thoughts there as well.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Nick. Those are really important points. I think the other piece I'll add in that I work with my clients on a lot is messaging. Very clear messaging for both your folks that are going to be coming on site. What are your COVID cost- COVID cautious? That's the new term I'm using what's going to happen on site so that folks are absolutely prepared and aware and then the same thing with your guests who will be joining virtually making sure that they're very clear about the technology breaking it down and then having tech support available for the entire time that it is very clear they know who to go to and that they have support um and then you know one last thing with a hybrid event as we're talking about bridging the audiences uh, we have been um, sending out so many care packages and you know swag boxes, gala boxes, and folks have been so excited to receive something in the mail that's tangible and makes them part of the event so that they can join in. Uh, We've been working with a lot of small businesses, BIPOC businesses, women-owned businesses to curate boxes, and they've been a really big hit. And people are more invested because, you know, they signed up, they have the box right here, they're going to attend. So we've really seen it increase attendance. um, And then also makes them feel more uh, just part of the event.
0: You know, I would add... So we are only one of the pillars. We are the technology platform, right? And so where we have seen the mistakes happen is when um, organizations do not uh, put an entire team on the field. You know, think about a baseball team. If you're going to put seven players on the field, you're going to lose every single time. And they try to cut corners or they'll get a volunteer uh, that that might do this thing as their day job to to, to do a mission critical piece, and that person is never going to take it as seriously as someone that's on the hook, you know, to, to deliver. So w- the the most important thing is make sure you feel, and you know, you know, and this was the first thing that Nick mentioned is a complete roster, a complete team to pull the event off, and there's no gaps in what you need because, you know, technology is not emotional, <laughs> right? So, but it's also not fail safe and you have to have professionals at every level to pull it off. And when you do, it takes all the pressure off the organization To you know, we talk about highest and best use all the time. And if you're a development officer at a nonprofit, your highest and best use is engaging your audience and your sponsors. It's not running a technical, not running a, an event. That's why we're here. And that's why these three, you know, players uh, that are on this panel all deliver different things and, you know, uh, but but but, you know, but sing in concert to, to pull it off. So don't cut corners uh, when it comes to fielding the team is the biggest thing I could say.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's great. That's been a, a fantastic uh, run through, uh, folks. So I want to thank the uh, uh, panel, Nick, uh, Barry and Jennifer. Uh, they're going to be with us, of course, as we break into uh, um uh, circles or tables uh, and what's going to happen. You may need to refresh your screen if you don't see it immediately, but what's going to happen is that we're going to move from this uh, main event into uh, mingle mode. And each one of the members of the panel uh, will have uh, a, a table that you can uh, attend to. You can uh, just, uh, you'll see a little icon with your picture on it and you can click and move yourself uh, around from table to table and join in the conversations that we will uh, um, have, um, live at, at every table. So whatever questions you've been um, storing up uh, for the panel, you'll be able to uh, ask and we can uh, dive deeply uh, for the next sort of 15, 20 minutes. I'm not sure exactly if we had a, a time limit on the, on the tables, but it is, as long as our panel can stick around. So um, we're going to end this main event now. Uh, again, thanks to the panel. Thanks to Yatmi for hosting. Thanks for everyone for attending. Thanks for listening to this special edition of the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast. My guests today were Barry Hinckley, Jennifer Whitman, and Nick DiBella. This podcast has been expertly produced by Glenn Munoz at PodPro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Go to podproaudio.com. You
1: can join future conversations live by visiting nonprofitproblemsolver.com. Connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook. For more information, visit kevkayat.com because good causes deserve better results.